It's the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. I'm Crispin Schroeder. Today on the podcast we have part two in our series Tribe, where we're looking at the core, uh, the five core vineyard values that set us apart as a movement. Today we will be featuring the Associate Pastor Brian Johnson from the New Orleans Vineyard. Brian's going to be talking about kingdom theology, uh, which is very central to vineyard ideas on ministry and on God. So it's going to be a really good talk. So let's head to it. North Shore Vineyard Church in downtown Covington. This is from uh, June 23rd. Thanks for listening. We continue our series, Tribe, and the the core values of the vineyard that we've been talking about. Last weekend, Crispin started with reconciling community here. And so today we're going to talk about the theology and practice of the kingdom, which sounds like an incredibly dry topic. So we're going to, we're going, anytime you put the word theology in a title, it's just kind of like, oh no, but it's not going to be that way, I, I, I hope to promise. So, uh, it should be, it should be very exciting. This particular value, the theology and practice of the kingdom, uh, really every other value that we stand on as a vineyard movement flows out of this particular value. Our kingdom theology is, is very, um, it's very distinct to the vineyard. Now there are other movements and there are other churches that have a very similar uh, understanding of God's kingdom, but the vineyard has, has been a movement that has been built from the very beginning in the early 70s on our understanding of the kingdom of God. And so everything else that we, that we talk about and everything else that we do ultimately flows out of our understanding and ultimately our practice of the kingdom of God. If you have your Bible, would you open up to Matthew chapter 4, verse 17 is where we'll start today. And in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, where we find ourselves is Jesus is now about 30 years old, and he is beginning what is known as his public ministry. He is, he's hitting the streets, and he's starting to preach. He's starting to call people and invite people to follow after him. And the very first message that Jesus ever preaches in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, as he hits the streets, he says, it says, from that time, Jesus began to preach. And what he began to preach was this, repent for the kingdom of God is here, or the kingdom of heaven is here, or near is how he often puts it. And so anytime in the New Testament you see kingdom of heaven, it can be, it's, it's equated to the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven can be, uh, the, we can go back and forth between those, those two terms. But the very first thing that Jesus says is repent for the kingdom of God is here. And there's been to some degree, misunderstanding oftentimes about what the message of Jesus was. The message of Jesus was not a message about behavior modification. The message of Jesus was not a message about heaven or hell. The message of Jesus from the very beginning was a message of the kingdom. That was the message of Jesus. The word repent means to actually turn around, to switch directions. And so when Jesus hits the scene and he says to people, he says, repent, what he's saying is turn around. Your life is, is it, you're going in this particular direction. He says, but there's a better direction. There is a better way. There is a, a way that is more full of life. So I want you to repent from this particular direction. Switch gears. Come this way for the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is here. 
And what he's doing is he's inviting people out of this direction, this way of life, saying the kingdom's over here, come and be a part of what's taking place over here. This is the message of Jesus. It wasn't a message about heaven or hell. It wasn't a message about doing good things for the sake of doing good things. It was a message about there is more life to be experienced. There's a better reality for you to take part in. The kingdom is here. Come get in on this. So today, the way we're going to do this is we're going to work our way through the entire Bible. Genesis 1 to uh, Revelation chapter 22. Crispin says that he normally teaches for three hours, so I figure that I've got this, we, we can do this. So why don't we pray together before we jump into Genesis 1. Lord, we thank you for your presence that's in this place. And Lord, this, I, this is exciting because God, you know what, your presence, it's, it, it covers over the entire earth. And Lord, as a community of faith, we can get together. And, and though we don't usually worship together physically, God, we worship you together every single week as a body, as your body. So we welcome your presence here. Lord, I ask that today that the, the words that are spoken, God, that you would, you would cause the things that need to stick to stick. Or the stuff that, that, that doesn't need to be there, Lord, just cause it to fall away. And Jesus, would you open our eyes, our ears, our minds, our hearts to really experience more of the reality of your presence in this place today. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. So we begin in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 and 2 actually is where, where we can start. And if you, if you take a look at the screen, what we see in Genesis chapter 1 from the very beginning, we understand with a... With a, with a a proper understanding of Genesis 1 and 2, that this particular account given to us in the scripture is not so much to actually convince us of how many days it took to make the earth or uh, you know, what, kinds of, what kinds of things that God, what kind of plants he liked and when he, when he wanted to actually create the sun and when he wanted to actually create stars. Uh, the, the Genesis 1 and 2 accounts not so much about those things. Genesis 1 and 2 is ultimately an account that is, is being given to us to say, this is who God is, this is who, who humanity is, and this is what God is doing on the earth. From the very beginning, God is creating. It says that there was chaos and, and, and there, was, there was this giant, there was this void. And it says that the Spirit of God and Jesus Christ the Son and God the Father came and took the chaos and started to put shape and started to put form to it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And when we understand this and we read it from a, from a scholarly theological understanding, we, we know that there is not, in the beginning, God created the heavens over here and the earth over here. But it says what God is doing is he created the heavens and the earth. God was creating a place where God himself could dwell. He was creating a home for himself. He was creating a dwelling place. He was creating a temple. That's what God was creating when he created the earth. And when God created this dwelling place, he put humanity on the earth to, to reflect his beauty and his glory. That, that, was, that was the design. God decided, I'm going to create this place, and I am going to rule as king. And I am going to create humanity. The word Adam means mankind. I'm going to create Adam and Eve. I'm going to create humanity. And humanity will rule under my kingship and under my rule. That's the plan. And then God gives humanity certain mandates. He commissions 
humanity to do a couple of things. He says, first, I want you to multiply. I want you to co-create. I want you to procreate. I want you to multiply. And then I want you to subdue the earth. You find this all through Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. I want you to subdue the earth. I want you to move about. You're starting right here in this garden. I want you to move about the earth and subdue the earth. And then he says, I want you to rule over the earth. He gives humanity a job to do. He says, now, from the very beginning, I'm going to be God. I'm going to be your king. And there's a hierarchy that needs to take place. I'm the king. But I am going to create you to worship me, to reflect my beauty and my glory to this entire created order. And under my rulership, under my kingship, you now rule. You take care of the earth. You take care of of one another. And the whole time we will be in this harmonious relationship with one another. In the very beginning, that was God's kingdom. It's the dome over which God ruled as king. That's the kingdom of God. In Genesis 1 and 2, There was not this idea of going somewhere else when I die. Now think think about that for, for a moment. There was not this idea of going somewhere else when I die. Number one, because there was no somewhere else. The fullness of God dwelled right there on the earth. Right here, Genesis 1 and 2. The fullness of the presence and reality of God and his kingdom is right here. So there is no going somewhere else. There was no somewhere else to go. And in Genesis 1 and 2, there was no when I die. Because humanity was created to live with God in his presence forever. That's, that, was, that was the story. That's what God was doing. The kingdom of God is characterized by life. Our God is a God who gives life. That's, that's, that's the story. His kingdom we live in his kingdom. His, his kingdom is also characterized by peace and beauty and mercy and grace, kindness. All these, all these things just, they existed in Genesis 1 and 2. There weren't, there weren't all these other patterns of anger and resentment and malice and unforgiveness and, and all these things. In Genesis 1 and 2, it was God's kingdom, his domain. Now, if you flip in your Bible all the way over to Revelation 21 and 22. We pick up at the end of the story. Revelation 21 and 22. And if you, in Revelation chapter 21, this is what the Apostle John writes. Chapter 1, he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming out of heaven. Prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, God's dwelling place is now among people. He will dwell with him. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and he will be their God. And in Revelation 22, verse 5, it says, At this time there will be no more night. There will be no more need for the light of a lamp. Or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever with him. Genesis chapter 1 and 2 starts with two people in a garden, serving God as king, his kingdom. Revelation 21 and 22 ends with millions of people, billions of people, 
in a city serving God as king in his kingdom. This is, this is what God's doing. And you can actually see from Genesis 1 and 2 to Revelation 21 and 22, if sin doesn't enter the picture, this is the story right here. Humanity takes what they've been given by God. They begin to create. They begin to procreate. They reflect his beauty and his image. They're creating cities and, and things are moving forward. And we get to Revelation 21 and 22 and God is ruling as king. Humanity is serving him. They're reflecting his beauty and his glory and they're ruling and reigning forever and ever with him. If you were to take sin out of the Bible, we would, take, we would lose this much of our Bible. If we took sin out of the Bible, we would be left with like a little pamphlet. Be like, I mean, like read the Bible in a year. It'd be more like read the Bible in 10 minutes. Genesis 1 and 2, Revelation 21 and 22, and you'd be done. You could do it every single day. You'd just read your Bible. And instead, we have to print out plans to get through it in a year, and then we have to start over when we, when we don't make it past Leviticus. So if we take sin out of the Bible, if we take the problem out of the Bible, this is, this is what we lose. And Jesus comes in Matthew 4, 17, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God is here. So if you look at, at our current picture, you see all the way on the left, you see two people in a garden. You see all the way on the right, you see uh, millions of people serving their king in a city. And both of these pictures are characterized by the kingdom of God. It's beauty, it's mercy, it's grace, it's kindness. It's joy. It's peace. It's a proper relationship between humanity and God, human beings and one another, humanity and the creation. We're serving the purposes that we were created for. The problem is Genesis chapter 3 through Revelation chapter 20. Ultimately, the whole Bible is the story of God's plan to fix something that human beings broke along the way. So if we go to Genesis chapter 3, we see in, in this, this particular rendering, drawing right here. Humanity was given the mandate to create in Genesis 1 and 2. Now, would you agree with me that you, uh, you have the, the, the power of choice, whether or not you're going to use your tongue to speak words of kindness and gentleness, or do you have the power of tongue to speak words of hatred and anger towards others? Do you, do you have the power to choose between those two? Absolutely. And, and God has always desired that we would choose to speak kindness and to build one another up. He's, that's, always, that's, that's a characteristic of his kingdom reality. We, we have the power of choice to decide between extending forgiveness or choosing resentment, and bitterness. And the kingdom of God value has always been that we would be the kind of people who would extend forgiveness, that we would not hold on to those grudges and that resentment and that bitterness. Humanity has the ability and they have the power to choose and to create. Some people have asked, why did God ever put that tree in the garden in the first place? Why did he ever put that tree? we must understand that without that tree in the garden and what that tree represents, humanity really would have never been free. The only way humanity is free and has the ability for free choice is to actually have the freedom to choose against God. And so the tree is there. And they've been given the whole world 
literally, they've been given the entire world. Just not that tree. And Adam and Eve choose to take what they've been given by God. They're, they're the ability to create, which is part of what it is to be made in the image of God. He's a, a mighty creator, and he places his image in humanity. And part of that image is the ability to also create with him. And humanity chooses in Genesis chapter 3 to create, but what they choose is to create something that goes against God's heart and God's desire. And in Genesis chapter 3, what ultimately happens is humanity, when they go and they, they eat of that tree, of the knowledge of good and evil, it wasn't as though some kind of, it wasn't a magic apple or anything like that where they bit it and all of a sudden it was like, whoa, uh, a magic kind of thing. It was, it was all about a matter of the heart. And humanity walks to the tree and they take from the tree that God says, hey, don't go to that tree. That one, that one's going to mess you up. And they choose to eat. They choose autonomy. They choose to actually take themselves out from under the kingship of God. They actually choose to be their own kings and queens apart from the presence and the reality of God. And when they choose that, here's the amazing thing. They actually are creating. They're taking their power to create and they're creating something that God never desired for them to create. They're moving out from under his rulership and his kingship and they are creating, for all practical purposes, a new reality. You see, in the kingdom of God, the reality is kindness, beauty, mercy, grace, gentleness. The ultimate reality is life. But they move out from under this and they become their own kings and queens. They go against God's way and they create a new reality. And we can call this reality the kingdom of the world. Some people think in Genesis 3 that God came in and he was angry. He was like, doggone it, you crazy humans. And because you did this, let me tell you what I'm going to do to you. But that's not what was taking place at all. What happens is when God comes and he says, hey, where are you guys? Now, is it possible that the creator of the universe, the almighty God, really had lost these little people? <laughs> He's like, where did, I know I put them over here. Where did they? Or is it possible that when God comes in and he says, where are you guys? Is it possible that he's asking them a, a, a reflective question that says, hey, where are you guys now? I mean, you, 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 do you sense what has taken place? Why are you hiding? What's going on here? That's, where are you? And where are they? They have found themselves, actually, in these moments, they, are, they, they have taken themselves out, of the king, out, out from under the kingship and rulership of God, the Almighty King. And they have removed themselves from the presence of the fullness of the reality of God, the King, and His kingdom. And God comes in and He says, Listen, this is, not a, this is not a judgment. This is not a punishment. What I'm, what I'm about to say to you is this is the reality of what you have created and what you have chosen. And in this kingdom where you actually serve as king, the reality is there's going to be conflict between the two of you. Not because I don't love you, because this is what you've, this is where you've chosen. This is, this is a whole different world than I created you for. It's a world where you rule. And when you rule, this is what ends up happening. 
because you're not very good rulers outside of my kingship. And so he says, there's going to be conflict between the two of you. There's going to be conflict between you and I. He says, as a matter of fact, there, it gets worse than that. He says, ladies, there's going to be pain in childbirth. Not because I'm angry at you. It's just, it's part of what's taking place. This curse, this thing that, this reality that you're living under, it is a curse. Not because I'm cursing you, but because it's the reality of your situation. When you work the land, it's going to be difficult. You're going to sweat and toil and, and, and you're going to have to work incredibly hard for food. And, and the, the, the earth, the earth that I gave you to rule over, it even now is under, under a curse. Again, not because, not because I'm angry at you, but because this is the reality that you have created. And it's interesting because in these moments, God could have just said, I knew it. I knew it. I knew if I put that tree there, they would screw it up. But I was, I was hopeful. And I'm just, I'm going to do away with the whole thing now. He could have, but because he is a God of mercy and he is a God of grace, he is a God of beauty. From Genesis chapter 3 through Revelation chapter 20, what we see is God saying, I don't like what humanity has created for themselves. I don't like what they have done to themselves. And from this point on, I am going to figure out a way to bring them back into my kingdom reality. I'm going to figure out a way to bring them back into experiencing a life of fullness. I'm going to bring them back into experiencing lives of mercy and grace. I'm going to bring them back to a place where, where they won't be ultimately defined by death. But I want them to live. This is what I want for humanity. And so the Old Testament, and I encourage you, just go read the Old Testament this afternoon. You'll see how this works. But you see that he, he pulls. So Adam and Eve were supposed to reflect his beauty and his glory to the whole world. And they drop the ball. And so what he does is he calls, in Genesis 12, he calls Abraham. And he says, listen, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to make your descendants as, as, as far as the eye can see. And what I want is your, this great nation, you, this nation will reflect my beauty and my glory. And the idea is that when other people... And creation look to this nation, which we know as Israel. It says, the idea is that they would see you. And when they see you, they would see an image of me being reflected. And people would be drawn to my presence. They'd be drawn to my kingdom and my reality through you. So he pulls the people of Israel to himself. Not because they were special. Not because they were better looking than the other tribes. None of that kind of stuff. Just because he needed a people to reflect his beauty and glory. And we read the Old Testament and we see Israel. And they're up, they're following God, and they're down. They're walking away from God, up and down, up and down. And then they get into this, this thing where they want uh, a king. And they have good kings and bad kings, and good kings and bad kings, and good kings and bad kings. Israel ends up getting themselves in so much trouble and walking so far away from God. Not reflecting his beauty, not reflecting his glory, but ultimately reflecting all of the junk of the kingdom of the world they end up being swept away into captivity in Babylon and in Assyria. And at this point, God, again, probably could have hung the whole thing up, but he loves human beings. He desires connection to human beings. He desires that human beings would know him and would know love and would know beauty and would know grace. 
And so we come now to Matthew chapter 1, and we go through the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we see God's ultimate plan to bring humanity back to a place where we live and dwell as people under his kingship, under his rule, in his kingdom. And so in Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus shows up and he says, listen, repent, because the kingdom is here. The people knew what Jesus was saying. They had been living their whole lives waiting for God himself to break back in, to come back and make a way for them, humanity, to get back into his presence. And so when Jesus says repent, he's saying, listen, your lives are being defined by all of the wrong stuff. Your lives are a wreck. They're a complete mess. You're addicted to this and you're addicted to that and you're, you're slaves to anger and you're slaves to resentment and you're slaves to unforgiveness. You are slaves to all these things that ultimately are not good for you. They're tearing you up on the inside and ultimately they lead to death. He says, I want you to repent from those things. I want you to, to quit getting your life from being better than other people or trying to be better from other people. I want you to quit getting your life to being so good at, at getting the last word in. I want you to quit getting your life from judging others. I want you to quit getting your life from the worship of, of false gods. I want you to quit getting your life from all that stuff because there's a more full way to live. There's a greater reality, and it's my kingdom. It's where you can get your life from the king himself. It's where you can get your life from God the Father and when you get your life from God the Father, then his kingdom begins to flow. He fills you with his spirit. He fills you with his presence. And you begin to become more like what you were originally created to be, a person who is overflowing with love and with mercy and grace and forgiveness. He says, my kingdom is here, and I want you to be a part of it. I want you to get in on it. When Jesus comes, he's actually, if we take a look, at the whole diagram, what he's saying is, listen, I'm coming. He comes from heaven, wherever, you remember, and, and here's a side note here. Here's how this works. In Genesis 3, when there was this separation, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, I, I truly believe that heaven is closer than we think it is. I truly believe that the kingdom of heaven literally is right here, right here. In Matthew 28, when it says that Jesus ascended into heaven, now this, this is opinion. We talked last week about dogma, doctrine, opinion, right? So you don't have to leave Christmas church over this. This is opinion. But I actually believe that in Matthew 28, when Jesus ascended into heaven, I think it was in part for dramatic effect because it just probably seemed really amazing and cool for the disciples to watch him float upward. But probably what could have happened is Jesus could have just started walking off into the distance and just disappeared into the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. I believe that the kingdom of God is literally right here. Believe that because I think that this is exactly what Jesus was showing us through his life. And what he's doing is he, he's coming from that place, that, that place where he's reigning 
And he's bringing the future reality of the kingdom of God. He's bringing that reality and he's causing it to come crashing in to our present reality, into this present world. And this is what we see in the life of Jesus. The life of Jesus, make no mistake about this, the life of Jesus and the life that he lived is just as important as his death and his resurrection. Because what Jesus is doing when he comes to live among us, he is showing us what the kingdom of God looks like in action. He's showing us what humanity was actually created for. He's showing us what life can be. He's showing us what life will be. He's showing us the life of the future being lived out in the present. And what happens in the future? One day when the new heavens and new earth come down and we are part of the the large community of faith, the bride of Christ, our lives will be characterized by mercy and grace and forgiveness, kindness and gentleness, words of affirmation, building up one another. Our lives will be characterized by health. Our lives will be characterized by life. This is the life of the future. And so what Jesus does when he comes preaching the gospel and showing us what the gospel is, the good news, he comes in and he says, so here's what it normally looks like. In this situation, I I was just cursed. And I can see him turning to his disciples saying, now watch this. I'm going to pray for this person. Because in my kingdom, this is how we operate. Oh, and this person over here just did something, and I, I, there's, there's this part that many would not extend forgiveness. Watch this. I'm going to forgive, because in my kingdom, that's how we operate. Oh, and this person over here, they don't deserve a kind word at all. Watch this. I'm going to speak a kind word. I'm going to mean it from the deepest parts of my heart, because this is what the kingdom of God looks like. This person, they're sick, and I'm going to pray for them, and they're going to be healed because this is what the kingdom of God looks like. This person over here, we're going to go to a funeral together. Wouldn't you want to go to a funeral with Jesus? Be like, if anybody in your family died, you made sure that you called Jesus. Jesus, we need you at the funeral. Well, the kingdom of God is a kingdom that's characterized by life. So Jesus goes to the funeral and he speaks life to dead, dry bones. And he says, get up, come back. Jesus is saying, this is what the kingdom looks like. And I want you to know, in Matthew 28, he says, I'm going to heaven. I'm ascending into heaven or walking off into heaven. And I'm taking my seat next to God the Father. And from this point forward, I am ruling as king. And then he says, now, disciples, us, he says, go and teach everyone the things I've been teaching you. Show them the things I've been showing you. Express to them that there is a different way to live life. There is a different reality that is available to them. There's a different reality that's available to you, and you don't have to wait until some far-off time. He says, but I, through my life, my death, my resurrection, now my ascension, and I will be sending the power of the Holy Spirit. The future is coming crashing into the present, your present reality. This is what we believe in the vineyard as the kingdom is here already. We believe that the kingdom is here already. The other thing that we believe is that the kingdom of God is not yet here. (laughs) 
And that's the bummer. But here's how it works. And this is how we believe it works scripturally. We understand that there's coming a day when Jesus Christ will return. And when he returns, there will be a cataclysmic clash between the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God. But it will not be a contest because in those days, the kingdom of God will completely wipe out and annihilate the kingdom of darkness. In those days, in that third set of circles there where the kingdom of God, we see it coming into the present, it will completely overtake the kingdom of the world and he at that point will completely do away with sin in its entirety, evil, oppression, slavery, the devil himself. That is going to happen. It's a, it's a done deal. How do we know? Because on the cross, the last thing Jesus says before he breathes out his last breath is, it is what? It is finished. And Jesus was not talking about his physical life. What Jesus was doing on the cross is he was saying to all of humanity, he was saying, you need to understand in these moments, the battle is over. The battle is over. Sin has been defeated. Evil has been defeated. The Satan has been defeated. Oppression has been defeated. Slavery has been defeated. All of it has been defeated. It is finished. The end is settled. The battle is over. That being said, the war, so to speak, is not yet over. And so Jesus ascends to heaven. He commissions us. He says, the battle's over. But until that time, the enemy is still roaming around. He's defeated, but he's still causing mayhem. And he says, I'm calling you, my church, to be my people. And from this point until the day I come back, I want you to do battle against darkness not battle against people not battle against people who are trapped in darkness I want you to do battle against the darkness and Paul's very clear when he says our struggle is not against flesh and blood our struggle is not against flesh and blood our struggle is against the spiritual forces of the kingdom of the world, the kingdom of darkness. And so he says, until then, what I want you to do as already not yet people, I want you to do everything that you can to take back from the enemy what he's been stealing from us all along. And so when you see someone who is hungry, feed them. And when you see someone who is, who is, is, is being, uh, who is addicted to whatever it might be, I want you to pray for them because there is power to see people set free. When you see in your own life a, an opportunity to extend forgiveness or hold resentment, the kingdom is here already. So don't practice that old way of kingdom of the world thought where you hold resentment and grudges and bitterness. Forgive. It's a kingdom of the future reality. It's a kingdom of God reality. So extend forgiveness. When you see someone who is sick, pray that they would be healed. And sometimes... That kingdom, which is right here, will come crashing in and you will see someone miraculously healed because the kingdom is here already. And other times, you'll pray and there will be no healing. And we scratch our heads and he says, don't be discouraged. It's because the kingdom is not yet here in full. 
But all along the way, one thing I promise is that I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. I will always be with you. And so I want you, my church, doing battle for the kingdom of light, for the kingdom of heaven. This is what it means to be the already and not yet here people of the kingdom. We understand that there is a future reality. There is a future kingdom, and we are headed there, but he says, no, it's, it, I've already inaugurated it, so start living the life of the future right now. We no longer have to be bound to being kingdom of the world people. And then in Revelation, at the very end, Jesus comes back and he says, I am the Alpha, I am the Omega, and it is done. Because in that point, the war will be over. The kingdom of God will be back, and it'll be back to who we were created to be from the very beginning in Genesis 1 and 2. Except it'll be a Revelation 21, 22 thing, beautiful city. We will be his people. He will be our king. We will rule and reign with God forever and ever. And Jesus says, you get in on this now. This is what we believe about the kingdom. This is not something that we have to wait for any longer. Therefore, every week, when we get together as a community of faith, we, we're, we're pockets of people right here on the North Shore, right there in Kenner this morning. Yep, they just started. And right, right there in Baton Rouge, where Crispin's teaching today, we are, we are pockets of people who are called to be living this life of the future here in the present. This actually, this, what we're doing this morning is, is, a, is a kingdom reality. It's a kingdom of God reality. We're a group of people who have so many things not in common. I mean, we could probably go around this room and we, have, we are so different. But one thing we have in common is Jesus Christ. We're kingdom people. And so when the world, the kingdom of the world looks at us and they're like, what are those weird people doing? On, why do they do this on Sunday mornings? It's not because we're ritualistic. It's not because we're religious. It's because we are people who experience the life of the future in the present. We get together to, to bless one another, to pray for one another, to encourage one another. As the first day of our week as we're being now sent out to do and to be the very things God's called us to do and to be the people he's called us to be. Kingdom of God people. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Here's, here's what it looks like also for us. Every week we get together and we, we say at the end, well, do you say at the end? Do, do you guys pray for each other yeah. now? Okay, so if you are a person who needs prayer for anything, if you're a person who needs a touch and an experience of that kingdom reality. We really do believe that the kingdom of God is right here. And so that's what we do when we pray for each other every single week. We say, are you sick? Are you depressed? Are you full of anxiety today? Are, are, are you addicted? Are, are you lonely? All of these things, they're, 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 they're of the kingdom of darkness. And so are you one who needs to experience the life and reality of the kingdom of God and his presence. And so if that's you, then what we do after I pray is we invite one another to come to, to the area right here 
And then we invite other friends to come and lay hands on and to actually pray. And our prayer is, Lord, let your kingdom come. God, would you let your will be done. The will that's taking place in, 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 in your kingdom realm, let it break in here. Let it break in now. May we never leave without asking God to break in in radical ways. This applies to our everyday, ordinary life. Tomorrow when you go to Starbucks, we consider this to be the holy, sacred place. But you know tomorrow morning when you drink your coffee at Starbucks, you know it's just as holy and sacred as this moment right here. Why? Because you're a kingdom person. It doesn't get any more sacred. This, this is no more sacred than what you do this afternoon with your family. It's a different, but it's not anymore. So we're always saying, Jesus, let your kingdom come. Your will be done. Lord, we thank you. You know what, God? We thank you for your kingdom. And God, we thank you that we're not people who are stuck. And we don't have to be stuck. We don't have to be bound by the, the things that characterize the kingdom of the world. But Jesus, you figured out a way to say, I want to bring you back into my kingdom. And so, Lord, again, would you open our eyes, our hearts, our minds to really see and to experience more of the presence and reality of your good and beautiful kingdom. Lord, whether we're walking, on the, uh, walking our kids to school or whether we're sitting drinking coffee with a friend or we're worshiping together as a community of faith, Lord, we want to be the kind of people who say, let your kingdom break in here and now. In the name of Jesus. You know, and Jesus actually taught us to pray the prayer that we know is the Lord's Prayer. And I, I would like, if, if you would, if you don't mind, if we would just, we pray that together. Because the words of this prayer, they're so foundational to what Jesus has taught us. So if you, you would join me as we pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Lord, let your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray, the one who is not dead, but who is alive and well today. We bless you. Amen.